I'm going to start this episode by providing information on a sport unique to the United States and Canada. I am fortunate to have listeners throughout the world and I will do a quick sport short in case anyone is unfamiliar with American football in the United States and Canada, we refer to it as just football. I will be describing football in the United States because football in Canada has some differences. There are two teams and each team has 11 players. One team is defense and the other team is offense. The offensive team has the ball and the defensive team is trying to either gain control of the ball or prevent the offensive team from scoring. The object of the game is a ball made out of cowhide leather, not pigskin like it's commonly referred to as. Inflated pig bladders were used to create some of the first footballs. Leather footballs are required in collegiate and professional football. For recreational or youth leagues, footballs made of rubber or plastic materials are typically used. I was thinking about this and I wonder why the animal rights activists don't call this out or maybe they do and I just don't know. But to move forward, which coincidentally is one of the objectives of the game, you want the ball to end up on the opposing team's end zone to score points. Another way to score points is through a field goal kick. The sport is huge in the States, but not so much in other places, which is why their money is not guaranteed in case you are trying to be a wag or a hab. If you do keep up with a lot of true crime stories, there are many that deal with professional and collegiate football athletes. Football is terrible on the body and especially on the brain, which is why some of the crimes committed by football players can be attributed to things like CTE, which according to the National Health Services website, stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. CTE is a progressive brain condition that's thought to be caused by repeated blows to the head and repeated episodes of concussion. I will actually be covering one of these cases in a future season. Let me know in a comment or tweet which athlete you think it will be. Welcome to Most Fashionable Crime, a fashion-related true crime podcast hosted by me, Taryn. If you want to be on trend, make sure to sign up for the newsletter, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and follow the podcast on Twitter at Most Fashionable and Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Most Fashionable Crime. There is also a discussion group on Facebook and a Reddit community, which are both linked in the show notes. I wanted to give a special shout out to those that are forever on trend, which are the supporters of this podcast. I appreciate you all so much. And there is a link in the notes if you would like to support too. Three ways to support Most Fashionable Crime are to share this podcast with anyone who may like it or may not know yet that they will like it. Leave a five-star rating and or a review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and just listen and engage on social media. Let's talk about football jerseys for a brief moment. Football jerseys are a bit of a fashion statement. You have the standard jerseys that fans wear, which is usually loose fitting and made of 100% polyester. The jersey will have a number on the front and the back and the name of an athlete on the upper back of the jersey. The jerseys that athletes wear have side panels made out of spandex so they adhere to the protective pads underneath and have a more fitted look. In the early 2000s, singers like Maya and Mariah Carey were derivatives of the basketball jersey in the form of jersey dresses. 
On college and professional sporting team game days, you can see people wearing these jerseys representing their favorite player and or team. I want to personally shout out the Dallas Cowboys fan base because of their fan attire. Wow. After living in Dallas, I can say that the most elaborate costuming I have ever seen is in my home state of South Carolina, where the Carolina Cowboys pretty much have their own star. For this story, we are going back to Sunday, February 5th, 2017, Super Bowl Sunday. The Super Bowl is the National Football League's championship game. If you don't care for the game, a lot of people watch for the commercials and halftime performances. Lady Gaga was the halftime performer for this championship, and the viewership was pretty high with a total of 172 million viewers. Some people even refer to this as the greatest Super Bowl of all time. The 51st Super Bowl was really painful to watch or hear about, especially if you are a fan of the Atlanta Falcons. It also fueled some of the hate that people have for Tom Brady, especially following Deflategate and other reasons why people dislike Tom Brady and his former team, the New England Patriots. What I know about Tom Brady is that he dated a model and actress named Bridget Moynihan and father is son by her and then he eventually wed the Brazilian Victoria's Secret Angel and one of if not the highest earning supermodel of all time Giselle Bunchen. and they had two children together. I know that he's signed by Under Armour and apparently he's a really good quarterback that takes amazing care of his mind and body. So good that he was able to blow the Atlanta Falcons 28-3 lead. After the celebration and press conference, Brady comes back to the locker room and he notices that his overtime winning jersey is gone. If you're wondering why he wasn't still wearing the jersey, it's because he changed into the championship t-shirt. This is all caught on video. So he says something to the fat dove, I put it in my bag, I absolutely 100% put it in my bag. So he starts looking through his Mary Poppins-esque carry-all black leather travel bag looking for the jersey like someone's grandma looking through their pocketbook for some hard candy to give to you. But unlike with your grandma, he does not produce any results. Therefore, the jersey never appears. This may not seem like a huge deal, but the jersey was valued at $500,000, but one article estimated that it was worth $1 million. Some people refer to this as the greatest sports memorabilia of all time. And there are quotes saying that it will likely end up in some sort of museum. Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, is quoted as saying, It's very sad to me that someone would do something like this. And it's like taking a great Chagall or Picasso or something. End quote. Robert Kraft is a billionaire, so I am sure he owns at least one rare, expensive work of art. Even if he doesn't, he should know that this is a false equivalency. Since the Super Bowl was held in Houston, Texas at NRG Stadium, the Houston Police Department got involved immediately, and of course, TMZ was the one to release the police report. We learned from the report that the jersey was stolen between 9.25 p.m. and 10.15 p.m. Due to the value of the jersey, this would be a first-degree felony charge. During this 50-minute window, there were plenty of people in the locker room. Friends, family, agents, managers, media, players, coaches, and whoever was able to slide through. Due to this, there was a long list of suspects. 
The issue was then elevated to the Houston Police Department's Major Offenders Defensive Unit, and they worked alongside NFL Security and the Texas Rangers. There were no cameras inside the locker room, so they couldn't just look to see who stole it. But I'm sure the cameras the authorities reviewed had footage of all who entered into the locker room. There was a camera at each of the two entrances and another one just inside the door. In addition to the cameras at the facility, the Patriots filmed post-game moments all season using their own video crew. There was a chance they might have caught a peek of the perpetrator on video. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, commonly known and referred to as the FBI, also got involved with the case. There is a great article from SB Nation that breaks down the entire timeline, which is linked in the show notes. In the article, they mentioned that the Houston police chief, Art Acevedo, was not pressed to find this jersey. It was Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick that riled up the Texas Rangers and put pressure on law enforcement to locate this missing jersey. Houston is a huge city, and according to the police chief at the time, they had three homicides occur on the night of the Super Bowl. With all of these law enforcement divisions getting involved, apparently other NFL articles were uncovered. For instance, Tom Brady's Super Bowl winning jersey from two seasons prior was found in a Denver Broncos helmet supposedly belonging to another NFL player by the name of Von Miller from his Super Bowl 50 win, as well as Brady's valuable Super Bowl 51 jersey. Did the FBI solve this completely on their own? Not really. The case was solved by way of a 19-year-old tipster named Dylan Wagner. I'm curious as to how much money and time was spent on efforts to recover the jersey prior to being tipped off. Dylan Wagner is a memorabilia collector out of Seattle, Washington, although he was born in Boston and is a lifelong Patriots fan. I didn't see anything about a financial reward while researching for this episode, but Dylan was rewarded. According to CBS Sports, he received a football and jersey signed by Tom Brady. This was not one of the stolen jerseys. He then received a pair of the Air Force Ones that Robert Kraft did as a collaboration. Dylan also received front row seats to the NFL season opener. I hope someone slipped him some money seen as the jersey, according to Robert Kraft, was on Picasso levels. Dylan Wagner saw the crime after he was in communication with a buyer. Wagner sold a jersey to a man named Martin Mauricio Ortega. In turn, Ortega showed Wagner his collection, which included Brady's Super Bowl 49 jersey. This jersey being missing didn't appear in the news, at least not to my knowledge, until the second one went missing. I don't know if it went completely unnoticed or if it was noticed and they just assumed it got lost somewhere. Once Wagner saw the 30 photos sent to him by Ortega that included the first stolen jersey, he decided to contact authorities. He shared the photos with a fellow memorabilia collector named Christopher Aroni, who happens to be an ATF agent in Boston, Massachusetts. He let the Boston ATF agent know, and then the ATF agent let an FBI agent in Chicago know. It just so happens that the FBI agent has a role that is focused on fraud within the sports memorabilia industry. At the time, Martin Mauricio Ortega was the director of Diario La Prensa, which is a newspaper of the Mexican Editorial Organization, or OEM, which is a major newspaper publishing company in Mexico. Due to his position, he was a credentialed international media member. 
He used his role as director to his advantage and had attended a number of Super Bowls. At this particular Super Bowl, there were 20,000 people credentialed, which included security and vendors in addition to media. According to an article published by Sports Illustrated, Ortega was actually in the locker room before it opened to the media. At 10.04 p.m., he snuck into the locker room by following Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England Patriots, and his longtime girlfriend, Linda Holiday, into the locker room by acting as if he was a member of their posse. 14 minutes later, he is seen on camera with an item underneath his arm that looks like a black plastic bag. He was never caught on camera in the actual act of stealing, but he was caught on camera near Tom Brady's bag. Plenty of accounts say that Ortega looked very relaxed, so he is a seasoned thief. He would take measures to distance himself from other press and media. For one, he would not stay in media hotels and would spend Super Bowl week in different accommodations. He would dress in a dark suit on game day so he would look like he was in public relations. And his tie was long enough to cover the color of his credential, so it was not easy to see what his clearance level was. Ortega had been buying and selling American football memorabilia since 1996. He was actually not too fond of soccer, which is what we in the United States call it, but he was a super fan of the Dallas Cowboys. He'd attend games, and I know he was credentialed for at least one of them. Because Ortega is Mexican and the jersey was assumed to be in Mexico, the FBI got involved with the help of Mexican authorities. According to Sports Illustrated, on February 21, 2017, two NFL security representatives flew to Mexico City to work with Mexican law enforcement officials and FBI agents at the U.S. Embassy. Mexican law enforcement busted him at home at 5.40 a.m. on March 12, 2017. They had a search warrant but did not execute it. Instead, they asked him to turn over any stolen sports memorabilia that he had and he would not end up in jail that night or anytime soon. He turned over the jerseys and phoned a friend to bring him Von Miller's helmet. Two days later at 8.30 p.m., Ortega submitted his resignation to La Prensa, which apparently isn't a huge newspaper in Mexico, so people were shocked he was even able to get credentialed for the Super Bowl. The newspaper was extremely apologetic and emphasized how Ortega's wrongdoings and crimes were not in association with the newspaper. Unfortunately for Ortega, he'll have to stream the NFL game since he has been banned from attending any NFL game. In Mexico, the value of the jersey isn't worth much at all, seen as football, American football, is not an important sport at all over there. Therefore, it's definitely not worth the 500000 U.S. dollars. It doesn't appear as if Ortega will be extradited to the United States, so it looks like he got away with it. I think if the NFL and Tom Brady wanted Ortega to be charged, he would have been. They probably didn't because it makes the NFL look funny in the light and fans would question how all of these items were stolen right under their noses. In an interview, Ortega recognizes that his fandom and enthusiasm for the game got out of control. Tom Brady pretty much just said he didn't want this to leave a permanent scar on Ortega's life and he hopes that Ortega learns from his mistakes. This whole ordeal is really wild once you look at it and think back to the things that were going on at the time. I will talk more about that on the Most Fashionable Crime YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to Most Fashionable Crime and don't forget to sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss anything. 
please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star rating if you are listening on Apple Podcasts. All of my sources are linked in the notes. In case you're wondering, this podcast was written, recorded, produced, and edited by me, Taryn. All the music you heard in the episode is from Epidemic Sound.